God is good. Amen. All the time. And all the time. I, I haven't done that in 14 years I've been the pastor because I had a pastor did all the time. I got sick of it. Just saying. But it's true. Amen? Uh, tonight, we, uh, I promised uh, that uh, the week after we had gone through uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that I would teach on tongues because I knew that it was, uh, everyone had a question on it. And so you asked for it, and uh, actually you didn't, I just did it anyways. But we're going to do three uh, sermons uh, in the next three weeks, tonight, the following week, and the following week, uh, on, on this gift. And we're going to take a look at it. So you will be uh, tongue certified when we're finished with all of this. And the reason why it's necessary is because I think it's the most misunderstood gift in, um, that the Holy Spirit bestows upon his people. And um, there's different scriptures that we're going to look at. Uh, it's all obviously going to be pertaining to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So in a sense, it is topical, but it does tie in exegetically with what we're doing. It's just a greater in-depth study of the passage that we've already begun to take a look at. And, um, but before we begin, I uh, just wanted to tell all of you thank you for yesterday, for those of you who were praying, those of you who came out. Uh, it was a great testimony to the community. Um, it, the prayer service at 3 o'clock was just so sweet. Uh, Bishop Huggins came out, he spoke, Doug Posey spoke, uh, Dr. Lumala shared, um, Steve Larson shared, who am I forgetting, uh, Tom Steffen shared, and we all prayed. And, and what was fascinating is to see how God has moved in our community in a, just a wonderful way. Um, and there was a joy last night in the council chambers, you, you just sensed this excitement that it was, it was bigger than all of us who were there. Um, just a wonderful day. And then a number of people traveled a great distance to be a part of it. As you know, Dr. Lumalo is with us from Uganda. Um, uh, all the churches there were praying, and, and Dr. Lumala came to represent them. And uh, Bishop Huggins came up. And, uh, and then what, what was fascinating is Chase uh, Rashid McGuire, who I ran against, he came up at the council chambers and spoke. And it was very touching. And then uh, Nick Kidwai also spoke. Uh, he's a Muslim man that has been coming to our fellowship. And both of them had kind words. That was just, it was just really a lovely day. And um, so keep praying. God's doing some wonderful things. And, I, and, and as a reward, I get to sit through a three-and-a-half-hour council meeting. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what have I done? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was delightful. Okay. Super, super. Uh, any questions before we begin tonight uh, that you have or nothing? Good, because I wasn't going to answer them anyways. <laughs> Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. I thank you, Lord, for this fellowship, and I thank you for this community. I thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've touched our hearts and continue to just move so mightily. We do pray for rev revival across the land. We ask, Lord, that as your people, that you would empower us to honor you and to serve you, that you would manifest these gifts that would provide for this community in, in ways that we've never even imagined. And I ask, Lord, that your people would be inspired and empowered by you to accomplish these things that are before them, that you'd be glorified. Lord, tonight we, we take a look at a passage of Scripture uh, on, on the last day of Pentecost that you, Holy Spirit, just filled the room. And it was a, a, a sign gift that just floored all who were present. 
And, and these, these handful of folks turn the world right side up. And Lord, all things are possible with you. We tend to get to this defeatist mindset that it's all over and our job is to usher in the end times by apathy. But you commanded us to occupy until you come. I can think of times in the history of this, this world where folks would have considered this to be heaven on earth, uh, the season that we're going through compared to what they had to endure. I can think of those that were enmeshed in slavery in the Civil War, those that were enmeshed in slavery in the British Empire, those that suffered massive persecution in the Asian realm and, and throughout the, the Muslim world. And yet, Lord, we're so quick to declare that these are the end times. And, and Lord, nobody in this room, I, I, just by pride, I would venture to say, wants your return more than me. But Lord, for us to declare when that is... We're supposed to know the times and the seasons, but no man knows the day nor the hour. And Lord, we're to be busy about your business. We're to be pushing back the gates of hell. You, you command that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And apathy is not a weapon, and it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. And neither is fear or trepidation. And so, God, please, I, I pray that you would light a fire in every pulpit in this nation and across this world, that there would be a revival that you'd pour out your spirit as you declared, as we're seeing here in the book of Acts, that you'd do it again, Lord. In all my 50 years on this earth, I've never seen revival. I've prayed for it, I've asked for it, and I'm expectant, Lord, not because you owe me anything, but I know it's your heart's desire and your word declares it. And Lord, I know that revival only comes when people pray. And Lord, we have done our best to encourage this fellowship to seek you in prayer. We thank you tonight we're going to see a gift of prayer one that you allow us to intercede in ways we don't even know what we're saying in some respects. And so God, take hold of our hearts tonight. Use your word to speak deeply to us, empower us, equip us by you, Holy Spirit, that we would honor you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, that we have righteousness not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And so we boldly come to the throne of grace and to find help in our time of need. And again, Lord, we, we ask healing on those in our, our family, our fellowship, that are ailing, that you've entrusted to our care. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless them and encourage them and give them hope and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, Acts chapter 2, let me uh, refresh our memory. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, there were, uh, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, uh, uh, glossia, which is a, a literal tongue, meaning another language, uh, earthly language, um, um, a language of a nation, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then you drop down to verse 6, it says, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his language, his own language. So what you have at this Feast of Pentecost, and I love the idea, it says when the Feast of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost had fully come, there were three um, feasts or, or three festivals that the Jews of the world were required to descend upon Jerusalem for these feasts. You had Passover, you had the tabernacles, and you had Pentecost. 
And this is one of them. And so you have people from all over the world after the diaspora or the diaspora where they were spread throughout the world after the Babylonian invasion. Uh, Rome had also dispersed Jews throughout the known world. And they would descend upon Jerusalem to come and, and come to the temple where in the temple was what was called the Holy of Holies where you had the Ark of the Covenant and you had the seraphim both facing each other. And on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant was what they called the Shekinah glory of God where he appeared by a pillar of light by night and a pillar of, of smoke by day. And it was there that the sacrifices would be offered. And if you want, we'll do this at one time. We've done it in the past, but we can see in the temple itself a clear depiction of Christ himself and that he's the lamb of God. He is the sacrifice, the, the sinless lamb of God that was sacrificed for all the sins of the world. The sacrifice up to that point was symbolic of the Messiah that was to come. And they were believing by faith in something that was to come. We believe by faith something that's already occurred. And that's why the cross of Christ is the centerpiece of all of history. Because saints in the Old Testament look forward to that point in time by faith. And we, in this period of history, look back to that point in time as having it been completed. We have the entirety of, of the Testaments, the 66 books of the Bible, that we can see the fulfillment of the Messiah having come into the world and, and being slain for the remission of, of all the world's sins. And, you know, you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So when you trust in that Messiah whose blood was shed, because that's what has to happen, we've committed a capital offense, cosmic treason upon our, our creator, and, and uh, we were given the ability to love him, and we chose to exit his presence. And every time we do anything contrary to what he desires, we're exiting his presence. We're just saying, I, I divorce myself from you. And, and so there's no way back to a heavenly God. There's no way back to a righteous God uh, because our sins and our sin nature hinder us from doing that. So what happens is the trichotomy of man, the three-part being of man, was dissolved in the Garden of Eden, body, soul, and spirit. When man sinned, the spirit departed, and so we were just walking dead people, basically. We're born to die. And we're fleshly, and we have a mind and an intellect, but the spirit of God has departed. He's a sustainer of life. But he gives us what is called time. And time for us is what is called grace. Between point A and point B, the day of your birth and the day of your death, you're on this earth for one reason, to reconcile yourself to the Father reconnect. To reconcile and to reconnect is where we get the word religion, to reconnect with our creator. But what hinders a sinful man from reconnecting with a holy God is our sin. And no matter how hard we try to get rid of it, no matter how many times we confess it, no matter how many times we say, I swear to God, I'll never do it again, we do it again. And we fail, and we fail, and we fail. We cannot obtain righteousness by observation of the law. Any rule we make for ourselves, we typically break it i.e. New Year's resolutions, yes? And we find in us that those things we want to do, we don't do, and those things we, we don't want to do, those we do. And like the Apostle Paul, we declare, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? To emphasize even more, the Apostle Paul begins his ministry by saying, I'm a sinner. And then in 2 Timothy, his last epistle before he's beheaded, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. So this is a man that wrote a very large portion, second only to Luke, who, who wrote the book we're reading tonight, and, and had the greatest influence in the formation of the church. He began his ministry by saying, I'm a sinner, and ends his ministry by saying, I'm the chief of sinners. My question is, don't you think he would have improved? 
And if the Apostle Paul declares that, where are we? You see, the more that God enters our life and the more we yield to Him, the more we see how truly wretched we are. The more we realize that the things we thought we were good is simply pride, and He reveals these nuances and these, these aspects of our life that we'd never considered before. We start to see how snippy we are. We start to see how selfish we are. We start to see all these aspects of our life and how we interact with people, how we're quick to judge and how we're quick to come to conclusion and how we don't serve people. We serve ourselves. If any man desires to be great in God's kingdom, let him be a servant of all. Nobody wants to serve anyone else. We want other people to serve us. We want to be surrounded by people who make us happy. We certainly don't want to serve the least of these, the ones difficult, And I ask you, for any of those of you who would reject Christianity and and the existence of a God, I I have never seen in Calcutta, India, I've never seen in the the depths and despair of the worst inner cities of the large, you know, metropolitan areas of the world where misery exists, Uh, you go into Kenya and you go into some of the most miserable sites on the earth. I have never seen a hospital built by atheists. Rescue missions aren't run by atheists. The value of humanity is based on the fact that God created us in his image and as his children, we believe that. And, there, and the sin doesn't separate us from loving them. It, it, it endears us to them. And some people, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, are so empowered that they go into the midst of that depravity with a joy. That you would, you would come to a place where we see in, in Philippians 4, 7 that it was, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. How do you describe surpassing all understanding? I didn't think so. You can't describe that. You can't describe this idea of, of heavenly wisdom. You can't describe any of these things that the scriptures speak of. I wrote a few of them down just to give us an insight into some of the amazing aspects of it. We find in, uh, where's the mine? Here it is. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. So a joy that you don't even know how to express. It's what uh, Algelis Huxley said was the ultimate experience, but his was you die on, uh, on an LSD trip. It's, it's this thing that's so unbelievable that you can't even exp- explain it. The world's idea is you, you commit suicide. God's is, trust in me, give me your life, and I will show you great and mighty things you know not of. I'll give you life and life more abundant. Uh, Ephesians 3.19, Paul writes, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I don't even know how to describe it, even if I were to study all of the books in every library on the face of the earth. It surpasses that. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. The more you walk with the Lord, the more you see how amazing he is and how depraved we are. And that's why Paul would write, I'm a sinner, and we'd end by saying, I'm the chief of sinners. And when we look at this concept and we see what we're faced with is humanity, we look out at the world and God has chosen all in this room who profess the name of Christ to be those instruments to go into all the world and make disciples of all men. And all men means all men. And for those of you who want me to speak in the terms that are politically correct, men and women, mankind, 
That's the idea. And so here we have in uh, Acts chapter 2, when we read this passage, this day of Pentecost had fully come. Well, previous, what had also fully come? For over 1,500 years, the Jews had been celebrating Passover. And what had occurred just a, a few months earlier, the fulfillment, it had fully come, Passover had fully come. The Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world to save sinners like you and me. See, Passover was when the Jews exited, Exodus, they exited Egypt and the bondage of slavery out of Egypt. And how did they do it? The Passover lamb. God said, take a a lamb and and slaughter it. And then on the top of the doorpost with a hyssop from the basin where you would wash your feet, you would dip the hyssop in the basin, you'd put it on the top of the doorpost and on on the mantle and on the sides of the doorpost. So there were four stations where blood would drip from the Passover lamb. And the angel of death would see the blood and pass over the house. And the firstborn would not perish. But every house that didn't have the blood covering it, their firstborn would die. Now, who was the firstborn that had to die so that ours wouldn't? It was Jesus, God's only son. And the blood that is described by the Passover lamb, you would have the blood on the top and on the sides and in the basin. Now, where did Jesus bleed? Well, he had the crown of thorns on his head. He had the nails in his hands and he had the nail in his feet. You see the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. This is the Passover lamb. And death doesn't come to the believer. God passes over. We fall asleep and awaken in his image. We don't fear death. There's two deaths. There's two deaths. If you're born once, you'll die twice. You're born a physical birth, you'll die two deaths. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. There's a a physical birth and a spiritual birth. You're born again. You're born again, as it says in John 3. And having been born again, you won't experience the death, the second death, which is separation from God for all eternity. And everything that God is, hell isn't. And everything that hell is, God isn't. And you say, well, I don't believe in a hell. No one spoke more of hell in the scriptures than Jesus himself. Nobody. Because he didn't want anyone to go there. And for us to get to hell, we have to step over the cross of Christ and deny him. And to look out at the vastness of a universe that we can't even comprehend and declare we know better than the God who convicts us every day because we see the Holy Spirit who's the convictor of sin. He brings conviction. We know when we've done wrong. He's the restrainer of evil. I'll tell you what's going to be fascinating. Remove the scriptures and remove God from the equation. What happens? Billions of people die, i.e. Soviet Russia, communist China, communist Cambodia, billions died. And then people declare, well, so many have died as a result of Christianity. What are you talking about? Well, the Salem witch trials, what, 50 people? And who stopped it? Pastors. Well, what about the Inquisition? 100,000. And when the church gets a sword, it's not supposed to have it. And that was awful. No doubt. What about the, uh, you know, the Crusades? Well, do your history. The Crusades were to defend themselves from an invading army that was taking over all of Europe. 
And if you do your history, you'll start to realize that those who have convictions and care about people and see that we've been created in the image of God, all of a sudden the world begins to transform. And, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is a restrainer of evil, and we're the ones who start to set up these opportunities for governments and societies where, where lives matter. And even if you watch uh, or you read our founding fathers, this idea of natural law, all depicted from the number one source, which is the scriptures, inalienable rights endowed by our creator. The idea is God gives us our rights, man doesn't. In a world where man gives the rights, only the powerful men are the ones that decide who gets to do what. And if you don't fit the mold and you have a different idea, then yours is death and billions and billions and billions die. So it wasn't unlike what they were facing. Here you had a handful of people gathered in an upper room, declared by what Luke had said in the last portion of the book of of Luke, waiting for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to come upon them through this day, this last day of Pentecost. And while they're waiting, this handful of people looking out at uh, an empire that spanned the known world and had its boot on the neck of every one of its citizens and ruled with an iron fist. No one equaled the oppression of the Romans. They knew exactly what they were doing. Nobody stood in defense of the Roman armies. They walked through them like a hot knife through butter. Anywhere the Romans went, everyone fell. And here they are in in absolute oppression over Israel, and, and they're waiting. They have no guns. They have no ammunition. They have no swords. They have no radio stations. They have no seminaries. They've got a handful of people waiting upon God. And what are they waiting upon God for? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. They're waiting for this endowment, this dunamis, this dynamic power of God to give them a fearlessness to stand in opposition that nobody can can stop. And they're waiting. And what's fascinating is you look at the Tower of Babel. What was the Tower of Babel in Genesis? Man wanted to be like God, so they built this tower to the heavens. And they were attempting to, to have a one-world government where they could, they could make it all happen. And God knew that this time would come, and, and he understood that the idea is, is to reach mankind. And as they're building this one-world government, they have this unified language, and, and they're standing in opposition to God, declaring we don't need God anymore. God struck them and, and, and created language in the Tower of Babel. And these people couldn't communicate, they couldn't get along, and that held off this, this evil for a season. Because you started to have enclaves and people who spoke certain dialects. And even if you follow, if you're a linguist and you follow the, the nature of language, it always comes back to a handful of common languages that probably occurred at the Tower of Babel. Some of you go, I don't believe, just, just do your linguistic homework, you'll see that. It's fascinating. And so here God was trying to restrain evil, and now, by this expression of this gift, he is now going to empower people to give glory back to God. Where he once stopped them from denying God by giving them language, he's now speaking through this empowerment of of his spirit to unify man to glorify God. And this is what they call a sign gift. This is a sign from God that people can't deny and it was glossia, which means it was a known language. And these were Galileans. These were, these were uh, backwood country folk. Hi, how you doing? Hi, what's up? My family tree don't branch. Woo! 
They were, they were dumber than a box of rocks. Their family tree didn't branch. They were, they were backwater as far as you could think. And, and, and they're thinking, where did you learn these languages? They're baffled. We're, from, we're Parthians, we're, we're Medes, we're from all over the world, and every one of you is speaking in our language, and we can tell that you're not one of us. You're, you're different. And yet they were baffled. Were, were, you, were you doing Rosetta Stone on your off hours? How did you come up with this so quickly? And, and this is what's taking place. Now, this is a sign gift, and it's very apparent. But before we get ahead of ourselves... I want us to turn tonight to uh, Isaiah 38. I'm going to show you the gift of tongues, possibly, and, and I don't know that we can build a theological basis for this, but possibly found in, in um, the request of the king to extend his lifetime, Hezekiah. Isaiah 38. He didn't want to die. He asked God to extend his life, and he's, He's crying out to God, and in verse 14, we see what appears to be, in a sense, possibly a prayer language. We see here where he's uttering this, this unknown tongue, this prayer language, and it's in verse 14 of Isaiah 38, like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. He's crying out to God, and he doesn't even know what to ask or what to say. He's just chattering like a, a swallow or a crane, and he's mourning like a dove. Just, I don't know what a crane does. But Isaiah, and this is the idea of... of uh, dual positioning in the scriptures. Look at Isaiah 28. In Isaiah 28, there was this, this division that Isaiah was speaking to the people and he was declaring prophecies. And they were so angry that they had given up uh, concerning the drunkards of Ephraim. And he was, he was speaking to the drunkards of Ephraim and, and they weren't listening. And they start to resent him. And in Isaiah 28, look at verse 9. They start to whine about his exegetical teachings of the scriptures. Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. They're, they're mocking it. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Um, Kay Arthur loves this passage where she talks about precept upon precept, line upon line. And it's, it's a depiction of, in a sense, exegetical teaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, which is the way we teach and the way it should be taught, I believe. I don't know of any other book in the world that we would read topically. I mean, could you imagine reading War and Peace topically? We're going to take a passage out of page 268 and a passage out of, you know, page 32 and a passage out of... It would take you forever to understand the entirety of War and Peace and what it's about. And yet, 
And, and the other powerful thing about teaching line upon line, precept upon precept, is that you, you teach the whole counsel of God's word. So pastors can't stay on their pet topics like tithing, right? Unity, the things that they're worried about in the congregation. They go through all of it, and they have to deal with passages. There, there are times going through the scriptures, I just don't want to deal with it. But I have to. It's there. And then you have to study. That's the worst part, because you don't grasp it. Study. Second Timothy 2.15, study. You hated that word. It used to bug me. Study. Study to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman working, who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You want to be ashamed? then study. And so you, you go through the entirety of the scriptures and you come to passages where you have to dig in deep. You have to give people an understanding, lead them into all truth. And so here they're whining about it, but God declares to them as they're whining about precept upon precept, line upon line, he says, I'm going to give them another tongue that they would speak to this people. I'm going to show them a sign, but, but he says, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. There's going to be a refreshing. There's going to be this time of an outpouring of his spirit where there'll be another tongue, and it, and it will be this gift from God. And so as he's declaring in this, turn over, if you would, to Mark chapter 16. This is a far fulfillment, but here we're going to see a near fulfillment of the passage in Mark chapter 16. Now, for those of you who have an NIV version or any version, again, that comes out of the Alexandrian text or the Synacticus or the Codex Vaticanus, any of those texts, uh, you probably don't have this verse in your scriptures. And, and the New King James, the King James Version is a Masoretic text. We hold to the Masoretic text. I believe it's sincere and I believe it's true. Yet they say the Alexandrian text predates and it's more complete than the Masoretic text. But they also pull out passages like this. And in pulling out passages like this, they miss some amazing opportunities because in the scriptures themselves, uh, I, I love this part of it in, the, in uh, Iranius and... Um, uh, Hippolytus both quoted from this passage between AD 170 uh, to AD 235. And they, they quoted from these last 12 verses of Mark's gospel. And, and for them to say that these didn't exist, these existed, or, or, or the quoting of, of these two scholars existed before the Alexandrian text that we have today. So, it dismisses whatever argument that you would have in this. The scripture you have is sufficient. You don't remove it because you found a more intact version of it. I've gone with you through the story of, you know, uh, Grant's Bible that's in the museum over in Redlands, California, his field Bible, and it's intact and it's, it's pristine. And the reason why is because he never read it. He just never read it. He was an alcoholic. He was a chain smoker. He, he was a butcher. He, he was awful. His whole administration was corrupt and miserable. And he never read his Bible. But then you contrast that with, with uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson's Bible. It's, it's tattered and worn, and it was read endlessly. He was a Sunday school teacher. And, and you would say, well, we have a, a, a more intact version. Well, that intact version was never touched. An Alexandrian text where this existed was a place of Gnosticism, and I, I believe it was just on a shelf that they left. But the Masoretic text has been quoted through church fathers for hundreds of years before the Alexandrian text. And so we come to this place where 
We see a far fulfillment in, in Isaiah 28, but we're going to see a near fulfillment in Mark chapter 16. And this is the, the prophecy of Jesus, the promise of Jesus concerning the signs that would follow those who believe in him. And, and one of them would be that they would speak in a new tongue. And so we see in verse 14, it says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord, working with them, and confirming the word through accompanying signs. And so what we're seeing in, uh, in this passage of Scripture is an accompaniment of signs. And, and with that, uh, in Mark chapter 16, um, the Spirit gave them ability. And this is what we're seeing now in Acts chapter 2. This is that gift of God that Jesus has declared. And look, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 6. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. This idea of a mighty rushing wind and it was giving them the ability to utter uh, languages that they had no idea of. And this is, this is a dialect. This is a language, as I said earlier. And they're teaching in this language. So this is what is known as a sign gift. A sign gift baffles the people. And you're speaking in a known language. Got that? Now to say, well, this is the gift that died with the apostles. It was an apostolic gift. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Verse 34. This is preaching to Cornelius' household. Peter opened his mouth, verse 34, and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. They were Gentiles, by the way. Cornelius is home. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, dunamos, there you see it again, who went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witness chosen before by God, even to the, us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Now verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And it goes on to say that they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in tongues. And this is... This is um, a powerful picture of the exact same thing that, 
that Mark was speaking of. They begin to speak in tongues. While Peter spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those that heard the word and and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came to Peter because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So, so this is a known language. They're magnifying God. They're speaking in a known tongue, a known dialect. Again, let's go to Acts 19. For those of you who say that this gift died with the apostles. In 19, Paul came to the church at Ephesus and saw there was lacking in the church a lot, and they were lacking love, but they manifest itself with joy in a sense, and here you're going to see how the gift came to them. Look at uh, uh, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there's a Holy Spirit And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him and he would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. We've already covered the prepositions of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the gift of tongues here is, is a, uh, a sign gift. But we're going to see another manifestation of this gift. Because I don't know of anyone in the room tonight that has the sign gift. And the way this gift, and we'll study it in the, in the, in the following studies, the, the way it operates, typically you're going to have somebody speak a known language and somebody interpret in the language we're familiar with. There are times where someone will be given a gift of language. I can tell you that I know our missionary in Cambodia, Catherine, God gave her a gift of language. When she was in Germany, she picked it up. When she was in Cambodia, she picked it up. God gives those gifts. Uh, it, it, it was you know within weeks. She, and if you listen to her speak, it's ridiculous. She's got the dialect down. She's got the nuances of it. I was listening to her yell at the kids over the phone. Uh, not the bad thing, but she runs an orphanage, you know. So, uh, but she, she, she just has got it down. And, and so this is, a, this is a sign gift. It's a known gift. Uh, if it's manifested, the edification comes because people see that the, the person speaks and then it's interpreted. And it's amazing. But we're going to see another aspect. There's a sign gift and a prayer, a prayer language. So with that, we're going to see the purpose, in a sense, for speaking in tongues uh, that the Apostle Paul will show us Uh, other than laying on of hands um, and this gift of prophecy, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 14 this prayer language. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, please. What is the purpose of speaking in tongues? A lot of people say, what's the point? And we know it's the least of the gifts, but what's the point of speaking in tongues? We're going to see in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14 that it's to assist the believer in their prayer life. In their prayer life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. What is that? That's prayer. 
Isn't that what prayer is? We're talking to God? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. It's this idea of speaking in prayer to God. How do you talk to a God whose character you can't fully comprehend? Nobody's seen him. Nobody's looked upon him. You walk into the Holy of Holies and, and you, would, you would perish if there were sin in your presence. They would, they would put a rope around your ankle and bells around the hem of the robe so that if the bells stopped dingling, they knew that you were dead and they'd just drag you out by the rope. Nobody wanted to go in and get you. How do you describe, if you're deaf, how do you describe a symphony? If you're blind, how do you describe a sunset? Anyone? You can't. If you're earthly, how do you describe a heavenly God? How do you describe his attributes and his characteristics? How do you talk to him? How do you, how do you interact with him? What, what do you do in relation to these things? And so Paul says that this, this prayer language, this aspect of the gift of tongues is used in prayer and he says, you're not speaking to man, but to God. And by the way, that's always the case. Uh, this gift, even when it's in, this, in a sign gift where people see it, they're glorifying and magnifying God. It's, it's men speaking to God. If you have the gift of tongues used, this sign gift used in a church, and, and uh, I've often seen this, and it's kind of hokey, but you see one person... And if you do this, I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you, it doesn't do a lot for me. Is that fair? Okay. And if you're offended, it's to man's benefit to overlook an offense. <laughs> Scripture. Amen? Okay. I've seen somebody speak in a language and then interpret for themselves. It's just, it just edification of the body, it doesn't do it for me. In contrast, I've seen somebody in this side of the room speak in a language, and I've heard somebody in this side of the room speak in English and glorifying God and speaking man to God, and it's profound. I've seen that enough times I can count on one hand. The times where I've seen it weird, I can count on everybody's hands, toes, hair follicles in the room. But when it is done, it is magnificent. It is amazing. And there are times where God will manifest His Spirit in that capacity, and it is, it's amazing. I've seen miraculous works of God that they're not abundant, but I believe the gifts are just as profound today as they were back then. Yet Paul is speaking of a gift that is given to the body of Christ that's pretty amazing, and everyone can receive this. He points out, and um, in, in uh, Acts, I lost my spot here. Where am I? Yeah, I know where that is, but I still don't know where I am. Well, we'll figure it out. Uh, well, I wrote it down here. Let me read it. Um, 
Paul said that no man understands a person speaking in tongues. How do you equate this with Acts chapter 2, where all of them understood in their own dialects as they were declaring the wonderful works of God? So nobody can understand you're speaking a mystery. So this is obviously a prayer language. It is, there's a sign gift and there's a prayer language. They're two totally different things. One is everyone understands it, and they're glorifying God and they're magnifying God. This one is private and it's personal. Are, are not all those who are speaking, as it says in Acts chapter 2, Galileans? How is it that each one of us is hearing in our own language as they are declaring the wonderful works of God? No man, Paul said in his passage in 1 Corinthians 14, understands him. Now, this is where I've come to this conclusion that there's a sign gift and that there's a prayer language. And, and Paul is speaking here in 1 Corinthians 14 of a prayer language. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men, by the way, this is glossia, this is, this is a known language. If I speak with the tongues of men, and then he says, and of angels. Has anyone ever heard an angel speak? I mean, other than my wife. Has anyone heard an angel speak? That's yes. Has anyone ever heard an angel speak? Now, we've heard, heard them speak in Scripture, but has anyone ever heard them speak? And even when they speak, it's people fall on their face, depart from me, they're scared. And, and usually they begin by saying, be not afraid, right? So, so the language of angels and the language of men are two totally different things. And the Apostle Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So it's amazing how we long for the gift of tongues, but we're we're bitter and caustic and short and, and, and we think that this is evidence of, of being a Christian and we long for that gift of tongues and, and we almost carry it around as a symbol of our, of our Christianity or, or I've, I've been in churches where that's the case but the absence of love and the absence of charity and, and as God declares that's a clinging symbol and a sounding brass but this is where we see the difference between the, the sign gift and a prayer language. And this is the prayer language that, that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15. This is another way in which this prayer language is used. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding, and I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. What does that mean? The idea is, again, a deaf man describing a symphony, a blind man describing a sunset. You're talking to a God Though we're created in His image, we have no idea. This is a God who holds the heavens in the span of His hand. This is a God who knows every fiber of your being and created it. This is a God who knows every thought you've ever had. This is a God who has ordered your steps, has every hair in your head numbered, 
Has every tear you've ever cried in a bottle? Who is he? And we're going to talk to him? Oftentimes, when my children were young, they had no idea what I did. I was just daddy. I'm looking at Oliver. He has no clue that I'm a councilman. He has no idea that I'm a pastor. I think he's coming to a comprehension that I'm a grandpa, but he's not even sure what grandpa means. But he digs me. He doesn't really even know how to communicate with me. This is such a foreign world to him that the noises he makes, I'm having, I'm forced to have to understand him instead of him understand me. He still hasn't gotten the concept of no. I'm working on that. But as they grow and they start to grasp this world that they're a part of, and the more that you pray, the more you start to understand the Lord. But this idea of a prayer language that you're, as Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful, what is the conclusion then? I'll give you an example of what I've experienced. And, and this is my own personal experience. I was, I was born and raised in Coronado, California. And, and I remember driving, I, I remember as I grew up in Coronado, I wasn't a Christian. And Coronado's not a big town. It's uh, a mile by a mile. It's a man-made peninsula. You can get there by a bridge or drive the strand. And when you're there, you're there. And it's a small, tight community. And when things happen, they happen, and everybody knows what happens. And I wasn't the best of kids. Matter of fact, at my 20th class reunion, 25th reunion, people were like, you're a what? There was a shock to it. And, and I, I did awful things. And I won't take time to glorify or talk of them. But suffice it to say, they were awful. And, and I remember having been a believer and giving my heart to the Lord. And as I'm growing in my Christian faith, and God gave me this prayer language. And it's private, it's mine. And I remember driving through Coronado. And it was... Um, it was a very profound time in my life. And I'm driving through the streets, and I'm, God is, is speaking to me in ways I can't describe to you. And it's, 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 a, it's a wave and a flood, and one wave hits me, and I barely catch my breath, and another wave hits me. And it's all being um, affected by houses I'm passing that, that were my past, that, what, what happened there. And then reflecting on God's mercy and his grace and a wave hits me of, of just joy. Unspeakable. I don't even know how to describe to you what he's saying to my heart. And, and, and then things being revealed to me of, of people I had prayed for, or people who had prayed for me and things that I had never imagined. And one after the other, it is hitting me after wave after wave. It is almost like a the only way I can describe it is a baptism of love. I, I'm enmeshed in his presence. I'm saturated in him. I'm sobbing while, we're, while I'm driving. I'm all by myself. I'm sobbing. And if you were in the, in the seat next to me, you would think I was insane. You wouldn't understand what was coming out of my mouth. You wouldn't grasp the, the moaning that was happening. or that I don't even know what I... All I know is it was one of the most edifying impactful, refreshing, endearing, powerful moments of my life. And I had no idea how to describe it. I, I was a, a deaf man who had just learned how to hear. 
I was a person in the deepest of the jungles for the very first time eating a Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. I don't know if that's a good example, but it is good, isn't it? I didn't even know what to say. My heart was so full. My, my life was so impacted. And, and here, utterances taking place, and, and this, is, this is the picture of it. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 19, this is another way in which the gift of, of this prayer tongue, it assists us in our prayer life. It also assists us in our worship of God. I, all I can tell you is I was worshiping the Lord and I was sobbing. All I know is my prayer was one of the most fulfilling prayer times I've ever had. There are times where I'm, I'm looking at a scenario ahead of me with, with so many factors that I can't even comprehend that are beyond my understanding that I'm going into something that is, is beyond my ability to grasp. And I don't even know how to pray for it. And that's where the Holy Spirit makes intercession with groanings too deep for words and he gives me this prayer language. And I'm just finding a peace as I'm, he's even revealing stuff that I'm just, yes, Lord, just, and I'm mumbling. Have you ever seen these fix-it shows? Uh, that The couple from Waco, Texas, does anyone yeah. fix it? Jojo and, Jojo and Chip, yeah. My wife loves that show. Oh, amen. Praise God, I love it too. <laughs> Jojo and Chip, and what they do is they take this dumpy house in a good neighborhood and the people buy it, and then they make them go away, and they fix it up, and they put this big billboard, and they say, okay, and, and they show what the house used to look like, and they pull the billboard open, and they all of a sudden, there's this house that they've refurbished, and, 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 and each one of the people, they're just, ah, and woo, and everybody's got a response, and they walk through the house, and this, this woman's gifting, and this guy's work is magical, and, and as they're going through the house, you watch this couple, and it's typically the woman, she has one word that she repeats over and over, oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Wow. Unbelievable. And after a while, when you're getting to the fourth or fifth room, you're like, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable, right? They, they've run out of words. If this is the only word you have to worship God, one of my favorite prayers I listen to people pray, they, they use this over and over again. Lord, I just, you ever heard that one? Lord, I just want to, Lord, I just want to, and if you do that, <laughs> it'll remind you, Lord, I just want to, and, and, and could you imagine being God listening to our prayers? There are po- folks who pray like this, Heavenly Father, I just want to tell you, Heavenly Father, how, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, Heavenly Father, for, it's like talking to someone who's saying, Rob, I want to tell you, Rob, uh, Rob, how grateful I am, Rob, that you, Rob, uh, you know, Rob, uh, and he, he's digging it. He's figuring out a way to just love on you. Because you imagine being him? And he's, he's saying, I've got things I want to show you, and you're mumbling. I've heard this. It's like, fast forward, I got it. I got it before you even said it. Do you want to see something spectacular? Would you let me baptize you with my spirit and give you an insight? and a joy, and give you the ability to worship me and understand me? Do you want me to saturate you, to teach you how to worship me in song, and to seek me in prayer beyond anything you could imagine? Yes. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, it says in Luke. And I asked the Lord for a prayer language. I said, God, give me something to worship you by. Give me something to praise you by. 
You know why John was choked up in that last song and you had to sing? Because God was doing something deep in him that he couldn't express with words. He couldn't get him out. And if he could, it had nothing to do with the song he was singing. God had let you take over why God did something deeper in him. This is that gift God wants to put into our lives. Let me, uh, we've got a couple minutes. Let me just close with this last thought. We find limitations in this language. And I think tonight some of you are a little baffled by it and maybe struggling with it. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, look at it. For those of you who are struggling with wanting to have this prayer language, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I think if he used it, it would be wise for us to consider using it as well. It's foreign, it's strange, but so is prayer. Hello? I mean, if prayer were something we were familiar with, I wouldn't have a problem inviting people to prayer. It's a great way to preach a church down to a manageable size to call for a prayer meeting. But if you had a dynamic aspect and a side to prayer that touched you deeply and brought you into a greater place of worship, ask him for that. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 17. I know I just read 18, but let me read 13 through 17. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving thanks since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, Give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I have to tell you, if you were in the car with me in Coronado and this was happening, you would not be edified. You would just look at a sobbing, blubbering mess, going, this is bizarre. But I got to tell you, I was having a great time. And that was my time with the Lord. And I was being edified. I would venture to guess that your prayer time is boring. If, if you don't enjoy prayer. I mean, we'll close with this last thought. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. I'll read it to you. You ready? But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You would look at me in the car and you would think I was nuts. You would send me to Happy Dale. But I have to tell you, it was one of the most profound experiences in my Christian walk. I reflect on those times when I'm going through depression and it lifts me. I guarantee you, John will not forget tonight. God blessed him. He's at home right now and there's a deep ministry taking place. And, and I... I, after Joe had shared with me, I came up and I just sensed the Lord saying, come up and interrupt him and pray. And I did. And then as I go back, uh, David back here, David Plumley says, did you know what the last song was? I said, I have no idea. I just walked in. He goes, oh, this is going to be a tough one. And the song that he was singing was a gift from the Lord to him. He couldn't even utter it. And God made intercession with groanings too deep for words. We're natural. How we understand spiritual the Holy Spirit is here to give you a gift. Now, yes, the gift could manifest itself in a sign gift, which is a rarity. 
And I won't despise that, and you can ask him for that. But I can tell you something that will help you immediately. Now, the sign gift would edify the body. People visiting would be blown away. But this prayer gift, you want it? It's real simple. You have not because you ask not. If we being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I, uh, I watch David Lane sometimes when he prays and the Spirit comes over him. And he can't utter things. And I've seen that happen with a number of folks. But at that moment where you're, you're stuck, this is where God intercedes and starts showing you things, great, showing you great and mighty things you know not of. And he starts to take a hold of this vibrant prayer life. And I will tell you, if you ask for this, your prayer life will be more than you could have ever imagined. We just, I just went through one of the, the most interesting courses of my life in the last two years. Sean Prosky's here. He's, he went through this with me. I remember the first time we met in Geno's, we sat down. And Sean and I, we walked through Sacramento. We went through things. I'd never walked through these doors before. And, and there were nights where I would be reading the scriptures and I would, I, would just, I would just be crying out to God and I didn't even know what to do next. And all I can tell you is, he interceded. And if you were in the room, you would have thought it strange, but God edified and strengthened me. Edify, edifice, built up, strengthened, shored me up. I, I venture to guess you don't have a vibrant prayer life because you don't have that gift. Ask him for it. Prayer is a great gift from God. It should be something that you're longing to be a part of and, and, and practicing. So that's it. We'll cover two more next week.